This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. by N.K. Jemisin is a book about how choices shape characters' destinies, even when their essences would seem to deny them a chance at happiness. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And for our factions, we have our point of view character, Ari Shof and Shiny. A long list of gods and godlings, we have Madding, the Lord of Deaths, Sia, Inna, Kitter, the Blade, Lil, the Hunger, Nemer, the Lady of Secrets, uh, Paitia, the Terror, Roll, the Lady of Compassion, Obro, Nahadoth, the Lord of Shadows, and Tempest, the Bright Lord, Yin, the Grey Lady. And then for human members of the Order of Intempest, we have Privet Rimarndi. For the New Lights, we have Hado, Serim Ar- Aramari. Yeah, Serim Aramari and Data. And then, as the head of the Aramary, we have Tavril Aramary. So, we are going to kind of talk, for a minor character spotlight, we are talking about a character called Shiny, uh, who is immortal, and we're going to be, so, he's immortal, but he is, in, he is explicitly human, which means that he can and does die. <laughs> he just resurrects. If uh, there's a good, I would say he is. I'd say he's more enduring than immortal, since the more yeah, part is death. That's good. That's a good point. Um, but his his soul, his consciousness, is immortal. His body is not. Was how I was thinking of that. But I think okay. no, that's a good distinction. But yeah, and he. Uh, so he has a a the, his whole. Everything about him in the book is sprinkled with all of these different times that he dies. Like, it's, it's, it's not even just a, a thing that happens. It's something that gets factored into other plot points that, oh, if we need to do this thing, he needs to die and he'll be fine. <laughs> like, it's, it's very Jack Harkness-esque. Um. Yeah. In a way. Uh, but he, so, we actually learn that his story kind of begins off screen when he he is put into this state of being and he starts out by first by starving himself or just you know dehydrating himself we're not actually we're not given explicit which one we know that he dies twice and my personal headcanon is that he he dies of dehydration once and then he dies of starvation the second time but I actually don't know what order it's in it's just funnier to me that way yeah, you joke that. I think I well, think it makes sense. Interesting thing to joke about. <laughs> yeah, that he would not realize he needed to drink, and then water, he would die, and then it's like then he would wake up, and then yeah. he would go, "Oh, okay, fine, I need water," and then he just goes, "Man, I don't need food," and then he dies again. Like, yeah, he. I would say food never even occurred. Yeah, to until him. the. <laughs> yeah, until he dies the second time. Yeah, and then he he that's how he starts out his existence is by not realizing that human needs are like necessities and not just and like they're a thing that he's gonna actually have to to partake in now um so there's there's some accidental deaths deaths like that but he also in canon explicitly on screen injures himself just takes shots that he could have avoided and just dies for it because whatever like he he you know there's almost this, there's a couple different times where we either know about or we see on screen where he, he's just doing something with something sharp and goes, I could stab myself with this. Wonder what would happen. Shank dies. 
And isn't our, our introduction to him is Ori comes home and like slips in his yeah, blood. Yeah, because he because he killed himself. He's killed himself. Yeah. Just oh, knife slice. Like, <laughs> um, it's just it's this very just careless disregard for the fact that his body can and will die because it doesn't matter to him. He does not care. And, and it's not it's not like he's looking at this going necessarily like, oh, I want to be I want it to be over. Because even if it even if he wanted that, like killing himself doesn't actually end anything for him. He just comes back. Um and there's actually there's several different characters that kind of make jokes about uh <laughs> like if he is genuinely injured and you need him to recover it is faster to just kill him off and wait like five minutes than it would be to try and tend to his wounds and nurse him back to health the way you would a mortal human and it does seem like dying is like a reset button yeah oh yeah no it hurts he feels everything and then he just is better now um it it's this really wild it's really almost um it's not comedic. It's not played for It's not for played laughs. for laughs it's- at all. But it's it's also definitely not like this gravitas of how overwhelmingly weighty this thing is. Like it's very much it's very much it's very handled very matter of factly. Like, oh, okay, well he will come back to health to life. So here's where we go from there. And it it's I don't know. That's interesting. I just to read. thought of an analogy for the an analogy for the way Ori reacts mm-hmm. to it, because if you haven't read these books, us saying he dies over and over, and yes, it hurts, but like it's mostly inconvenient. Yeah. Like I, the thing that I think best conveys this is if he compulsively, repeatedly moved a long, low stool into the center of the room, like every day, and every day trips on it and falls over and then Ori is like why did you put this stool there and then puts it back (laughs) and then every day he pulls it out trips over it it's like it hurts it's not pleasant he keeps going you could push him over the stool if you wanted to clearly some pathology is going on if someone wants to repeatedly drag this into the middle of the room and trip over it but but it's he's gonna keep it's not going to end him yeah so that's that's my little analogy there if you haven't read these books <laughs> i hope that helps rather than being even more yeah confusing. It, it, and, and it's important to note that the 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 pathology so to speak at play is a magical compulsion or a magical does he have i wouldn't a magical- say it's a compulsion it's a magical edict it's a magical reality he will thou shalt not yeah, die yeah or thou shalt not remain dead pretty much like like you will live and die as a human forever over and over <laughs> okay uh, or well forever is negotiable but that depends on a lot of things it's until <laughs> you fulfill a set of conditions that are definitely not fulfilled. in one or two lifetimes in yeah one well yeah because this is only 10 years after the yes. conditions started yes um but it's just it's just this and and he i, I don't know there's there's just this kind of feel about it being this thing that he is almost he almost feels like it's inevitable like of course he's gonna die of course he's gonna to reset and so like i would almost argue the trauma here is less that he wants to die but more that no matter how much dying hurts inflicting that trauma on his mortal at the moment body is a like he almost sees it as like a i mean like it it, it's being handed to him as a a punishment and he you know he it's something like it's almost it's almost a i wouldn't call it a form of self-harm because it is a punishment being inflicted on him but that just disregard for like he could completely live a life where the only thing he would die of is old age. He could, but he won't. Yeah. He won't. He hasn't even stayed alive long enough to find out if his body would age. Yeah. yeah. And a thought that I just had is that 
it's it's not I'm trying to catch it. It's not self harm. Like that it's isn't really quite it. right. But he he's and our, our the trauma we're talking about isn't loneliness, but he is driven by this intense sense of loneliness where he has been told go away from us we don't want you because of what you did go be with these gnats these humans what must seem like forever since his his nature is to not change generally speaking it must feel like he is never going to be around anyone again. And placed in that context, the apathy and suicidal tend- tendencies make, they make complete sense. And I know you know that from reading the book, but just for those who are listening to this without reading it, like, that's the backdrop. He's not no. bored. No, like, there's Sometimes when he kills himself, he's bored. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes he's bored, sometimes it's they jumped out of the tower and his body is shattered and the quickest thing to do is kill him this time. But a lot of the time, it's harder to know since he's not a point of view character, but it from things he said and things, conversations with other people, it does seem like it's driven by this very intense loneliness. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. That's, I mean, that's really, I think you hit, I think you hit it, like. He's he's lonely and he wants to. He doesn't know what he wants, but he knows he wants not this, <laughs> but he can't get not yeah. this, and so he tries over and over and over to get not. I this. almost wonder if part of it is if I die enough times, will they forgive me or feel, feel sorry? sorry will I me? if yeah. I can pack in all the suffering? Will I have suffered yeah. enough? Yeah, no, because you're right. He desperately wants to go back to them and be himself again. But that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, not in this book. Now to Ori and kidnapping. We have two main instances of this. Yeah, so uh, the first one is when the order keepers of the city tried to kidnap her from her market stall. Um, and it's kind of odd because initially she wasn't actually a target until, um, she demonstrated her magic by, kind of by accident. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then all of a sudden she was not only a, a kidnapping target, but they were, they were, I mean, really, we're putting this as kidnapping. Really, they were trying to arrest her. They thought she was guilty of the murder that had just taken place. Um. But they didn't say, like, like they, they very much treated it as, like, there's no evidence against her. There was no really even evidence at the scene. This wasn't a human murder, so they, like, who even knows how they were going to go about this. Um, but they just, they literally just thought as, oh, you have any kind of magic about you at all. Guilty. In fairness to them apparently her entire body was glowing which would be a fairly strong level of oh no wait was her whole body glowing then no or oh no it was just him it was the order it was um ah no she was not glowing nope she was not glowing she she will glow later she'll glow later makes those two moments up no but they they literally just so they tried to kidnap her and failed because Shiny mm-hmm. stepped in uh, and got kidnapped kind of instead. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, this is, like, a, th- a theme here. Um, and and so it's worth noting at this point that it's it's a lot of... So when, when, when she, she is more vulnerable to um, antagonistic attacks... Um, because of her blindness. And so there's this, there's a very weird, like, I don't know, paradigm might, may or may not be the right word here, where she's blind 
and working, running, selling a, a stall, selling things that she that she makes. And then, and she's just like, they were questioning her because she went down the alleyway at all. And then they immediately jump to, oh, she has any magic. It's her. It's she's the killer. And then Shiny jumps in to defend her. So they grab him, but they still want to kidnap her. They still want to attack, attack her. Like there's this whole dichotomy thing there where it kind of, it stops, but her, the, and the reason her blindness matters in this instance is that she doesn't really totally know what's going on the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so from a perspective in the book, it, there's very much this like, we kind of get like this whole cacophony of, what they are trying to do what the order keepers are trying to do but it's like like we have to almost even as an audience we have to kind of piece it together because she's trying to piece it together as it's happening because all she like really all she knows is the change in the way the sound is going like she doesn't even know that she's being defended at first and like shiny came to the marketplace with her but also like there's a it's just a an overlapping layer of just like not enough information because our protagonist doesn't have enough information. But then the second time it happens um, is when it's later. Yeah. So for the second time that she's taken, and really it's the second time that is responsible for us framing it as kidnapping uh, and not some other facet of it, like the ableism that is involved a little bit. Um, yeah, I say a little bit because they are not trying to be ableist. And I understand that people aren't usually trying to be ableist. Um, but there is a degree where no one bothered to narrate to her what's happening because no one is thinking we should definitely make sure that the blind person we're trying to arrest knows exactly how much we are losing this fight. Yeah. So that's that's kind of part of why she doesn't have enough info. But then with the new lights, they very specifically kidnapped her, stole her out of what should have been a safe place where she was staying, kidnapped a bunch of her friends and her lover. And here it's kidnapping and indoctrination. Like they are a cult. She notices Explicitly. very specifically they are a cult. Um, also in the religious sense that they are an insular sect of a religion. Mm -hmm. um, they serve, they claim to serve in Tempus, um, but they are not the state-sanctioned version of it. And she notices things like the the feel of the cloth is rough and I think she she asks if the clothing is white and she's told no, it's a, like a gray because if it were white then we'd be trying to we'd be trying to be too pure. So even even though she can't see it, she can she gets enough information to know that a lot of what are kind of classic cultish indoctrination stuff is going on. Mm-hmm. And then they, in this place, and you had wanted to talk about this part. I think this is um, important. What? Yeah. yeah, go ahead. You had wanted to talk about this part is that, so within the cult, there's a bunch of different stuff that they're doing. And we get a little bit of it because the book really isn't how she was taken in by a cult because she well, manages to fight a lot of the indoctrination. Yeah. But one of the things that they do to try and break her down, whether it was on purpose or whether they just didn't oh, think about she its impact. Asked. I'm, no, she oh, asked. What? She asked. This was on purpose. So they, she, we see her canonically in the book. Uh, she uses a, a, a walking stick, a cane to get around. Mm -hmm. Um, and when she's kidnapped, they don't take that with them. Um, and one of the first things that she asks when she wakes up is for a stick or something so that she can navigate. Like and literally she, anything. Yeah. And she is told no. And, and when, when we say, when we say anything in the book, there's a couple different times when she doesn't have her own stick available that she just grabs or somebody finds her something. Like at one point like she a uses broomstick. a broken, yeah, a broken broomstick handle. Like, she did not need, like, a hand-carved, perfect cane built for her. 
She just needed a stick. And she was told, no, I'm sorry. We don't want you to be able to navigate on your own. We are keeping you a prisoner. And because you are blind, we are using the fact that you need us, you need an aid to, to constrict your autonomy. Yeah. Like that was intentional. Yeah. Uh, And that also includes, um, uh, they have, uh, just like, we have we have it on here as forced labor. It's just like cleaning of the of the 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 temple that they're in, the area that yeah, they're it's, in. It's, it's forced um, labor because they're made to be there and they're not getting paid. Yeah, so, but but they yeah. but it's cleaning. It's cleaning work is what they're what they're being told to do. And I say they, I mean her and anyone else who is a novice initiate. Um, and they don't even give her anything to navigate during that time like she's literally cleaning with no nothing to even know where she is or what's going on or anything it intentionally and then to punish her um after some stuff that goes down to punish her they lock her in her room for days and days and eventually she asks just to get to be on the cleaning detail again and she is told no and data gloats that this means the indoctrination is working because it means that there's that she is so desperate that she just even wants the routine of that forced labor and he like says it to her in face basically like he specifically says that oh see you when you have nothing you then want this routine and i don't remember if he uses the word indoctrination or not but he is gloating about this concept in particular. That's like, ah, we the cult, we have kidnapped you and we have broken you down. Yeah. It's it's just not There's there's a lot of things here where I mean really the really really it's just a lot of examples of the same of the same thing where, you know, she's being her her movement and her autonomy is being restricted. Because it's more convenient for someone else if she is under their control. Yeah. Um, oh, we didn't actually put this in our notes. But I do also want to mention the offer that she was given at the end of the book. Essentially, again, be restricted to the palace or die. Oh, like, yeah. Be here. We will talk about it in a different way in the next segment. But yeah, but it's worth. It's true. important to mention uh-huh. here, too. Yeah. She- yeah. Yeah, she was given a she was given a uh a <laughs> uh a good deal, quote unquote. Um, yeah, the good de- yeah, the, the good, good deal, deal is was... you might live if you agree to not be our slave. We don't do that anymore, but you could be but restricted you... to here forever. Yeah, and, you can be in the yeah. palace forever, and if you go anywhere or do anything we don't want you to do, we can not only will you die, we can kill you remotely. Yeah. Then snap that our fingers is, and end your life. Like, okay. Yeah, that's what she's offered. And it's interesting in terms of the way the author's framing this trauma, because having kidnapping and loss of autonomy as something inflicted on her or threatened against her by every faction with any kind of power yeah um by every human faction with any kind of power from the order keepers to the new lights to um to to vril and sky it it makes it it makes it a little bit it makes the who's the good guys and who's the bad guys a little bit murkier. And if you want to say they're all the bad guys, then I'm <laughs> not going to fight you on it on this particular oh, point. I, but it, I it, think they're all the bad guys. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I wouldn't. The the way for me, that's hard because I love to so much in book one, but it's hard <laughs> to be a nice person and be in charge, well, um, which yeah. is a thing I would love to get to talk about for some other book. That's not this book. But it's not this yeah, series. I don't think we have any series. I don't think we have any heroes in this entire series. We have antagonists at best. Or not antagonists. We have antiheroes at best. We have like uh-huh. people who happen to be points of view at best. Like even like shiny and matting, like it takes a 
there's a lot of care taken from the author to push back against the idea of any of them wholly being good, even Ori. Speaking of uh, no one totally being a hero in this book, for Ori, we have guilt in the very specific form of her body being being a weapon. It's both used as a weapon and it just is a weapon without really any specific work on her part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly luck that she hasn't already killed someone by accident. I was wondering about that. Like, she's never bled in the presence of... She's never bled around matting. Like, like at all. Not to be graphic, but, like, they've never had period sex. Like, this book acknowledges yeah. the existence of menstruation. So yeah. that that could have been something that it mentioned. Um, and they didn't. So, okay. Yeah. Kind of wonder if that would count. But all right. Because that's not lifeblood. But anyway... Uh, I don't think things, I don't think blood is split into categories in your body. Magically, inter- uh, different mythologies will have different things. I don't know. I mean, what one yes, this has. but the but the property here is just blood. It's not her lifeblood. Yeah. It's her blood. I would assume that it counts as the same. So then we run into how did she never accidentally kill him during period sex? But okay. All right. I guess. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with there because the book has a lot of sexy stuff, but it is not specific in that way. And their relationship is in the past. So, um, specifically what's going on with her blood is that because she is a demon, a demon in this series being defined as the offspring, however distant, of a god and a human, mm-hmm. um, or someone who is then the descendant of the offspring of a god and a human. Uh, demon blood can kill gods and godlings. Uh, anyone who's read the book and has a quibble for use of the word gods, uh, she is told your blood can kill gods. And so in terms of guilt and fear, that framing it as gods and godlings is appropriate to this particular discussion. So her blood specifically was used to kill her lover, Matting. Like, um, what's the guy's name? Mm -hmm. Data used her blood to, like, make an arrow and then that arrow killed Matting. And she, she felt like responsible for this, even though she found out that her blood was a weapon almost immediately before Matting was killed. And it was kind of like, ah, this is your blood and it is deadly. And then Matting is dead. There wasn't a whole lot of time. Yeah. Um, it was your blood's a weapon. This is an arrow made of your blood turned into a literal weapon. Your lover is dead. Yeah. And then in terms of like guilt, There's also, like, this ambiguity going on where because um, Data is also a demon and he's the one whose blood was used to kill Roll and several other gods before he got a hold of her, she can't be sure which gods, after a certain point in time, she can no longer be sure which gods were and were not killed with her blood. And it seems as though she feels guilt as though all of the dead gods are her fault, um, whether or not it was her blood. And even though she didn't kill any of them directly. Yeah, she's got a she's really feels guilty just that anyone has died because someone used her to do it. Haku, what are you doing? Sorry. Our junior assistant editor just tried to dig behind my back at the chair. Like, what? <laughs> Haku, come here. Come here. Okay, sorry. Sorry, she has to pretend to die at the end of the book in order to avoid being locked up, see our previous topic, or potentially killed even for existing, and then 
it's not enough. And so she ends up kind of like alone or not quite alone, eventually alone and away and separate from everyone she's ever known, except for shiny who she's only known for like less than a year. Um, and even then it's, it's not enough and people still come after her. Um, so as guilt, we have that her blood can kill gods, many of whom are her friends, but she cares about them in general. And then we have the specific facet that her body is a weapon that is used against her lovers. As we mentioned, Matting was killed with the arrowhead that's made from her blood, and Data and the other, um, the other New Lights seem to take delight in taunting her with the knowledge of that. Oh Being yeah, like, like you just, just like, the fact she, that that her her body is being used to kill people is like the number one leverage against her for the rest of the book. It's like they're swinging her arm into someone else's face and then they're like, why are you hitting him? Why are you hitting him? Yeah, why are like, you hitting him? Like, like, if you would just let me control your arm, you wouldn't hit them anymore. And it's like, hey, whoa. Not not how any of this works. It's not how this works. Um, so Madding dies because of her blood and then just when she thinks maybe everything will be fine at the end, she then is is threatened with death. Um, not She's threatened with death because somebody else could use her blood as a weapon. Like therefore, ever. Right. Ever, ever in her life. <laughs> I don't know. Like, to me, this has... I don't know. This, to me, this has a little bit of the same feeling. I know... I'm pretty sure I've used this analogy before. I know I've used it with you. I don't remember if I've used it on the show before. But it has a little bit of the feeling of we can't have gay people in the FBI because someone might charge them with blackmail. Oh, who's going to... Or someone might blackmail them. Oh, who's going to blackmail them? Um, We are because you can't be gay and be in the FBI. <laughs> like, uh, for anyone who doesn't know that fun bit of American history. Um, yeah. That was a thing. But, but yeah, it has a little bit of that feeling of like, so we need to use you, we need to stop other people from using you as a weapon because someone might want to use you as a weapon. Oh, who wants to use me as a weapon? Oh, we do. We want to use you as a weapon. And yeah. <laughs> we're very worried that someone else will. So we should probably do it first. Yeah. Except she's a person. <laughs> and yeah. So then... Yeah, and the gods threaten her with death if she doesn't leave Shiny. They offer to, they give her one day to think about it, and either she can die, and that she doesn't want to do that. She's okay with dying, it seems like, but she doesn't want... In that moment. (laughs) Yeah, right, at that particular moment. She is okay with dying, but she doesn't want him to... She, she doesn't want him to break. She doesn't want him to be unable to ever love another mortal. Because if he never learns to love mortals, then he will never be done with his punishment. And she does not want him to be paternally punished. And so again, yeah. we've got guilt. Where if she doesn't die, then he'll be wrecked. And... It ends up being that he offers to leave so that they are not together. Um, well, offers. He declares that that's what he's going to do. Yeah. It's just... It's really well handled in the text. Like, yeah. her whole existence is... Her whole existence is a potential weapon. And people freaking out over it and guilting her over existing when she didn't ask to exist and definitely didn't ask to exist in this manner is just it's so well handled yeah it's just it's really so the way the way this is all set up in the story i actually really like that it starts out with 
her just being a person and the more she finds out about different things about herself i mean because she has questions about different identity things and different like magical things and different like personal things with herself from the beginning of the book um but we start out with her not having answers to those questions and it's kind of one of those where it's like you get to the end and you would almost rather never have an answer because just her having that answer exposes her to this manipulation and this potential for that guilt and potential for people trying to hurt her and use her because if she didn't know then no one would have leverage over her like it's 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 really it is really well written it's really well done um and it's just very interesting to read um and also i will say this this is not even even after having read book one where we knew about the existence of demons and then their blood being dangerous we we already had that information uh this is not a book where either it feels like oh plot twist whoa like it doesn't feel like that it feels like it makes sense like it's a natural conclusion but at the same time i definitely did not read it anticipating it it was just very smoothly integral into the, integrated into the text oh no and it's it, definitely not it just kind of flowed and it just made sense but it wasn't something like there's a lot of books i read where i like you know i'm like oh no this is going to be the ending isn't it <laughs> and even though this one had all of the clues this story was written in such a way that i didn't really care about trying to figure it out because there were so many other things happening that mattered if that makes sense, like... Yeah, and we kind of have this trust that was built up with book one that the weird interstitial narration will make sense by the end and it'll be really cool. Like, the author had already built up that trust by carrying it off once. Yes. And so it was not super worried about the interstitial, and then you find out at the end what it's about, and it's like, oh my goodness. But specifically with the revelation of her being a demon part of what helps is the very peculiar definition of the word demon in this text. It's not, oh, by the way, you were actually born in hell, because that that yeah. wouldn't really get carried off very well here. No. It's like, I'm human, but my eyes are weird. I'm human, <laughs> but I can see magic. Yeah, that that seems to be her I'm human, personal story arc. Do is magic. I'm hum- her personal I'm story arc. Human. Se- her personal story arc seems to be, I'm human, but, oh, whoops. <laughs> like, And then it's an ever-escalating series of, but, and then never mind, I'm not human. Yeah. Well, not fully human. Yeah. She's human enough for the curse to count. Yeah. Well, well it was mortals. I don't, th- I don't remember if it was phrased as human. Oh, I thought mortals. it was human specifically. Only because otherwise he would be constrained to help every single animal and bug and insect also. I was thinking about that. Because he has to live as a human. Mortals. It's definitely, you may call upon your power only in great need and only to aid these mortals for whom you hold such contempt. So, Hmm. mortals for whom you hold such contempt uh, definitely implies humans... And that this language is from the Hundred Thousand Kingdoms. Yeah, it's the initial. Um, you will wander among mortals as one of them, unknown. Yeah, so. Yeah, it is. It is mortals. Uh, it would be interesting for him to like truly love, co- have companionship with like, like a, an elephant or, like a, or a horse or like a dog or have a, or a, a dog, dog companion. A dog would be more likely. Well, more like you know, not necessarily, but more of of the animals to randomly have an extremely deep bond with. There is a certain trope around dogs. There is That's what I mean. to the wrap-up and ratings for the gratuity rating for Suicidal Tendency. Uh, okay. For the dying a lot, that feels severe. Just going with what was the most graphic depiction of one of the events. Um. But we also... I mean, I think it's severe. 
Yeah, there's ideation involved enough that a person who doesn't speak a whole lot still manages to communicate to the point of view character some part of their ideation. And then we also have a lot of depictions of the results of that ideation. I mean, we have more than that. We have explicit descriptions of death and how and why. It's just it's just severe. Full stop. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, okay, you say severe full stop, so I just wanted to double check. Does it rise to the level of torture porn? No, not in this book. Okay. Okay. No, because it's sure. not it's not depicted in a way that is it that is idolizing it. It's just very descriptive. Right. Okay. Just wanted to make sure because I, I agree with that. Just wanted to check. Uh, for kidnapping for the gratuity rating, um, weird. I feel moderate for this i I don't i think it's severe you think it's severe yeah uh okay especially with her descriptions of um the ableism involved and how it makes her feel oh yeah like the the terms that she could be released under and the blackmail involved like no it's definitely severe okay so i was picking up more on how much care was taken there yeah, there was a lot of care taken, but also it's pretty severe. Okay. I'm in the mi- in the middle of a kidnapping sequence in a different book that I'm reading, and this is toned down a bit from that. But yeah, I think that and the other unnamed thing I'm reading, it just, I guess, would both be different levels of severe. So in my head, I was like, it's less than this other thing. Um, okay. For the trauma... For the suicidal tendency, it is integral to the plot. It just, it is. Wait, did we, did we rate the guilt? I'm sorry, you're right, we did not rate the guilt. For the guilt, for the gratuity rating, the guilt, uh... I actually think this is moderate. (laughs) Yeah, it's moderate, like, the consequence, the consequences are severe, but the consequences are bound up in the kidnapping, and so it's a whole mess. But most of the severe bits are related to kidnapping, and most of the moderate bits are related to the guilt. Yep. Okay. Okay. Now, Now, (laughs) on to suicidal tendency. Is it integral? It's it's integral. It just is. Yeah. Uh, Kidnapping is also integral. Yep. And And the guilt. guilt. (laughs) Everything's integral. Uh, Quick check. Do you feel like any of them could have been interchangeable. No. Okay. Not and have it still be the same story. For... I also, I will say with these books, there is not a lot of extra. Yeah. There's not a lot of details in general that are like, just could have been something else and are just in the... Or are just in there. Like, everything is pretty... Very explicitly intentional and and, and necessary. Just, like... As a series. Um, like, in the first book, some of the aesthetics could have been interchangeable, but in this book, where the main character can't see, you don't even have that. Right. Um, right. To mention it. Nope. Everything yep. is everything is very, very purposeful. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, was the trauma treated with care? Suicidal tendency? I feel... I think it... Enough? Yeah, it's either yes or enough. Um, it's a pretty severe topic, and it's there isn't really a way to have it happen on screen in a way that's not severe, but the language used to talk about it is, like, bare bones, basic, minimum, you get the point, it's not super, like, descriptive, uh, in a, in a, in a visceral way at all, it's just kind of there. And um, also, there's a lot of points where it's off screen, like, every time it's on screen, it's severe, but there's also even more implied off screen. And I think the combination of those two points toward it being treated with care. Yeah. Um, yeah. Along with the specific language involved. For the kidnapping, I th- think I think it was. Um, I think it, it, I would argue for enough. Okay. Uh, because we do, we do definitely get, it's, I don't think it's care, okay, I don't think it wasn't treated with care. I think that the descriptions and the, the, 
reactions we get because our protagonist is blind. In a weird way, her not knowing what's going on kind of protects the reader a little bit. But also there is a lot of her own fear and confusion and anger because she doesn't know what's going on. Uh, And kind of like this helpless feeling of like things are just happening to her in a way Mm -hmm. that I don't think was treated treated, uh, callously or carelessly at all. Um, But I, I do think it pushes it over to the level where it was treated with enough care because especially if you're someone who has felt like that or... Or who who has a disability, potentially, that, that makes you feel that way when people are just doing things to you or to your stuff or... Okay. You know, I, I think I think the author did a really good job of, of not making it, again, kind of more than it needed to be, but... So enough care, enough. but it's probably going to resonate strongly with someone who has... Enough um, care, but there's a likelihood... There's a likelihood that... There's more of a likelihood that it'll resonate than not if that makes sense yeah Um, Yeah, thinking about how we do our care ratings it it seems like we say no care when it's enough that even if you have no overlapping trauma it's very stressful yeah feels like how our rating is shaking out (laughs) yeah our our rating is definitely shaking out where if almost nobody is going to be is going to feel this scene in a bad way that it's treated with care. If some people might, but only with direct trauma, then it's enough care. If some people might, even without direct trauma, it's not enough. And if everybody hurts, then it's just not no care. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, that's fine. That's good. Yeah. Feels like a good metric. Um, yeah. It, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, we didn't know it was going to be quite like that when we made these ratings, but I'm very pleased with how well they've worked out and how consistently we've been able to apply yeah. them, it feels like. All right, so on to the guilt. The, uh, the guilt, It I, I would argue for not enough care. Hmm. So... Okay. It's either, it's either barely enough or not enough, because there is so much there's so much of a language of like like it's your fault for being there and it's your fault and that that's got a lot of that's got a lot of ideation that's gonna overlap which i think moves it from from enough care to not enough and then yeah i i think i've got to err on the side of caution and say like not enough care like it doesn't yeah, no, I I agree. I think I think if we're not sure, then we should err on the side of caution and say yeah. not enough care. Like, yeah, it's it's well handled, but it is stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the only thing that keeps it from being more stressful is that there aren't very many passages with that um, specific language. But what's there yes. is very specific and very focused. For the point of view for the trauma and aftermath, uh, it's it's Ori yeah. for everything. This is one of those single protagonist books. We do get um, her being told other people's thoughts as it relates to certain bits of trauma. Yeah. And like- so... We get Shiny's own words describing his trauma in a in a very like really, really good scene. We get Shiny's own yeah. words on his trauma, but it's filtered through Ori. And I think I think it's important. So I really like the way this happens where it's not just, oh, they told me this so. Instead we actually see on screen Ori getting having that that conversation um and so yeah it's very much it's very much through her perspective it's very much through her eyes but it's through her eyes as told by you know by by our our main character it's it's very good it's a very good way of doing that where we the audience get to hear it directly from the person talking and the person experiencing it uh but without it being what with their with it still being through our main protagonist yeah um 
Are you ready for the aspiring writer tip? And do you have one? Do I have one? I I don't think I don't know if I have one for this book. Um. Well, no, actually, I'm not sure if we've had this one before. I feel like the answer is no, but I'm. I I, I think. See, the problem is the aspiring writer tip I want to give. I think is the same one we recorded for a different book. <laughs> mm, okay. Um. So I have one. Okay. I especially. There's going to be a fine line between not having your characters process trauma and having a book that is nothing but them talking about processing trauma. But (laughs) I think this book, because this this is a very, it feels like a very dialogue-heavy series so far. Oh, yeah. Like, the first book was dialogue-heavy because it's all these political games and it's her going from room to room to have all these different conversations. Here... It's dialogue heavy and internal thoughts when no one is around heavy where she's vaguely talking to us. Um, Yeah, both of these books are, at least so far in the series, are very much a narrator style story. And so we we get like we get the dialogue that they're telling us about and we get their internal um, communication with with us as the audience. And that's not. not Uncommon. It's great. Oh no, it's, it's great, but it's it's very it's it's done in a way where it doesn't feel like it's just dialogue forever. Oh, it, it feels doesn't. like the story. It was just that when I was going to do like a written my little short written reviews uh, right after I read this, I was like, this is a bunch of really good conversations while a bunch of stuff happens in between conversations, and it's really well done. And part of what in this particular book, and again, like, don't, please don't use a disability as a gimmick. Like, that that would suck. I don't want that someone to think that that's the advice. But by, in this particular book, by not having to worry about describing every room mm. that she passed through. Uh, oh, here's the thing, it though. feels like a, Here's the thing, she, though. We do get an every room description. Mm, we do. That true. is 100% in here. Like, it's not true that just because she's blind, we don't get descriptions. No, Our, I, didn't, descriptions I didn't mean we don't just, get descriptions. I meant... But I'm get, saying it's just as description heavy as any other... Like, there's no there's no lack of, of room uh, description and area description. It's just that those descriptions are different. Yeah, I don't know what my tip is that. Like, well, okay, what I was going to say with the description before you popped in is that it it changed the perspective on what kind of thing got described. And I really like how it did that. I wasn't going to say that we didn't have any descriptions. Um, but the way in which she interacted with all of these spaces was different from the, now we are in a different room, having a different conversation feel that it would have been very easy to have. Yeah. Transitions are different. Yeah. Yeah, and and we also don't get actually here. What about this as a as an aspiring writer tip? Okay, if you're gonna give, if you're gonna have a protagonist see or experience a world in a specific way, don't try to. It's not necessary to have them pretend to cater their descriptions to the audience. Just have them experience the world. Because this book does that very well. But I've also read books where the protagonist is is supposed to be blind or deaf or have something else that affects their perception. And you get a lot of the book saying, well, I can't see this. But if you, the audience member, were here, you would see insert description. I was like, how do they know that? The only time that well, it, it doesn't did- even matter. It's not even a question of how do they know that. It's just this whole like it's not good writing. Yeah, it's this whole like if you're gonna have your character experience the world in a way, then take your audience members inside that world. Don't don't yeah. try to translate. <laughs> it did have a couple of points of translation, but they but those were mostly when magic enabled her to actually. The saturation of magic enabled her to actually have some aspects of sight 
that she doesn't normally get to experience. And those were very few and far between. And I would argue those aren't, those aren't what I'm, those aren't even a translation. I would say that that's not even happening. Oh, no, no, no. I'm I'm saying the closest thing to, because she explicitly says, oh, this must be what depth percept, what people mean when they say depth perception. That's why I bring it up as potentially a translation. Yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about because at no point in this book does she ever say, if you were here as the audience member, here's the thing that you would pick up on that I didn't. Like, that never oh, happens. Ever. Right. Not even once. Yeah, no, I, I agree there. And it's just very good. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, there isn't even a closest thing to it because it just doesn't happen. Um, And even then, like, with the magic and her kind of figuring out, like, her actually being able to see the magic and kind of figuring out, like, oh, that's what people are referring to. Like... Even then, it's not, we don't even get a description of the things that she's looking at in that moment. We literally only get, oh, now I see depth perception. That's kind of cool. Anyways, moving on. Like, we don't even get to know what she's looking at. Like, um, she doesn't it's even. all about her. It's not about us and how we see the world. It's all about her and how she sees the world. Like, yeah, like, it doesn't try and describe how depth perception works no. for people who have it or something. Yeah. Which yeah. would have been the thing you were saying. Nope. Yeah, um, exactly. What is your favorite non-traumatic thing about the book? <laughs> uh, I I really enjoy... Oh, man, I hope this wasn't mine from last book. It might have been. It's okay if it is, I guess. Uh, I, I really like the way the different godlings' powers are explored. Yep, that was yours. I'm pretty was, sure that was yours okay, last time. It, it's just my favorite forever, I think. Um, I I think I highlighted. Oh man, who did I? I'm pulling up my notes again. <laughs> I need to look at this again. Um, I think okay. I'm just gonna highlight a different. I'm gonna highlight a godling instead a different godling. Um, so last so last book I think I talked about Cie Cie, um, and and his his childlike everything. Uh. So I really like Lil as the hunger because uh, stealing mine. <sighs> Yoink. Uh <laughs> No, I I like how as the hunger, she's not just hungry for food. Anything like she is hungry to devour anything that is hungry for something else. So hunger for vengeance, hunger for for actual food, hunger for love. I like that she develops at the end of the book she develops a taste <laughs> for mm-hmm. children's obsessive hunger to be loved and cared for mm-hmm. like that's great actually because yeah. she's not she's not devouring children but she is emotionally devouring their need to be loved which means she cares about the children <laughs> like a complicated version <laughs> of really the funny. ending of monsters inc yeah actually <laughs> Yeah, actually, yes, that. Um, it's just really funny, and I really like it. Oh, 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 okay, I have a different one, too, actually, that I want to mention. I, I had sent this in a, in a photo of the page to you earlier, which I just think is great. Um, <laughs> at one point, without uh, naming identities, um, Ori is praying to the deity who's running beside her because she forgets. <laughs> she's literally just like in a stressful situation and like like she just she just start she just like says that god's name out loud and he just gives her a look like huh what are you talking about what are you what are you doing right now <laughs> like what is what is wrong with you and it's just very 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 funny because she just forgets that he's right there and she just does and she doesn't even like she's not saying it as like trying to reach him she, it's just an exclamation but it's so funny to me yeah um Mine, I really liked the depiction of Hado, and unfortunately I can't really say any specifics because there'd be massive spoilers. Um, I really, really liked Hado and how he was handled, and we don't get a ton of him in the book, but what we get is all just like really really good and i liked it a lot yeah he's pretty good 
thank you so much for joining us and we will catch you in a fortnight All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. You can email us with questions, comments, or book recommendations at bookstatburn at yahoo.com. Support us on patreon.com slash bookstatburn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout out. You can leave us an iTunes review. This helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.